Good morning. That was a beautiful song and a wonderful time to worship the Lord this morning. I love God, and I love the Word of God, and I love you. And it's my privilege each week to combine all three of those things, and I love teaching you the Word of God. Uh, We're near to the end of the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews closes like a typical New Testament letter with personal remarks. So if you'd find Hebrews 13, 18, and 19, we will dig in. Hebrews 13, 18, and 19 is a personal, practical, passionate, pastoral plea for prayer. They're the most personal verses in all the book of Hebrews. The writer is in need of help. He is expressing a need that we all have. It's an intensely personal one. He needed help because he was, as the old song goes, standing in the need of prayer. He was in need of prayer. The writer says in verse 18, pray for us. Pray for us. He's asking for prayer for himself and whatever associates were with him at the time. We do not know who he was. We do not know where he was, but the original recipients of this letter did. Pray for us. It's in the present tense. It means keep on praying for us. As you have been praying for us, keep on doing that. He wanted their prayer on an ongoing basis. Now, if obedience and submission are what we owe to our spiritual leaders according to Hebrews 13, 17. Then according to verse 18, prayer is the greatest ministry we can offer on their behalf. The greatest ministry that we can offer. We all need prayer. We all need prayer because we all need God. We need His intervention in our lives. We need His power, His protection, His wisdom, His guidance. We need what we don't have. And so we need God. We need His comfort. We need His assurance. And what we all need is a really simple thing. It's for someone to be praying for us. We need someone to be praying for us, to know that others are going to God on our behalf. Bringing us boldly to God's throne of grace. See, we're not meant to travel through life alone. An African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. One way we travel together spiritually is by praying for one another. One of the early church fathers, Augustine of Hippo, who lived from 354 to 430 AD, you may have read his book Confessions, Augustine, When he preached this verse, he said this, We have a mutual need of one another's prayers. And if the apostles used to ask for prayers on their own behalf, how much more does it behoove me to do so too? See, it's a huge encouragement and blessing to know that someone's praying for you. That someone is thinking of you and cares enough about you to actually take you to God. To go to God on your behalf. 
Over the years, I've had certain people praying for me on an ongoing basis. My grandma, before she passed on to go be with Jesus, she would tell me she prayed for me every single day. My mom, I know, she prays for me every day. Now, there's others that, that, that say they pray for me all the time. When someone's praying for you, you feel connected. You feel like you're not alone. You feel like uh, things are going to work out all right because God is going to work everything together for good. It's a source of, of comfort. It's a source of hope. It's a source of encouragement. It, it makes you feel covered, protected. See, prayer is a mysterious thing. We don't understand how it works, but we know it does. God does something when we pray. When a Christian prays, God hears and acts. And we don't make God do things, but we know that he changes our hearts and we know he does something as a result of our prayers. The psalmist in Psalm 116, you might want to go there with me. Psalm 116. He starts the psalm by saying, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And and why does he say he loves God? Well, here's the reason. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Because he's inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. I love God and I know he hears my prayers. And I'm going to pray to him my whole life. As long as I live, I'm going to do that. Prayer is part of our communication with God. God speaks to us. God primarily speaks to us through His Word. And He will never say anything to us that is contrary to His Word. But prayer is our part in communicating. We express our hearts to God. We, as the Scriptures say, pour out our heart to God before Him. What we all desire in this context of prayer is freedom. Freedom in prayer. To to pray or to ask for prayer on our behalf with nothing blocking our relationship with God. Be able to feel like you have a direct connection to God. Have you ever had someone who doesn't know Jesus yet say to you, can you pray for me? Offer up a few prayers to the big guy for me. Because if we identify ourselves as as believers in Jesus, they're going to see us as someone who talks to God. And so they're going to want some of that. They'd like some of that benefit. They'd like to, to have someone watching out for them. What we all desire is to experience freedom in prayer. To have nothing in the way between us and God. The writer of Hebrews had that. These are short verses, but they're packed. And the first thing we see that he had was a clear conscience. In verse 18, he says, we are sure that we have a clear conscience. We are sure that our conscience is clean. 
We are sure that, that all is well between us and God. The word translated sure is the same word translated obey in verse 17. That meant to be persuaded. That meant to be uh, confident. Just as he desired for them to be persuaded and convinced regarding their leader's teaching of the word of God, he was equally persuaded and convinced of his clear conscience in delivering that truth. The word good, he says, I, we have a good conscience. The word good is the Greek word kalos. It means beautiful. It means excellent. He had an excellent conscience. Literally a beautiful one before God and mankind. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is speaking of the goal of their teaching. And in verse 5, it's revealed. It says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That goal was true in the writer of Hebrews' life. He was unaware of any sin that was blocking his relationship with God, he was sure, he was persuaded, he was convinced that all was well between he and God. So he could say, pray for us. Pray for us. We know we have a good conscience before God and before you. He also had a submitted will. His his will was given over to God. And again, in verse 18, he says, In all things I desire. Pray for us. We're sure that we have a good conscience. Desiring. Literally, in all things desiring. I am, I am willing. See, he was not insubordinate to the highest authority in the church. Jesus Christ. In the book of James, right after Hebrews... In verse four, in chapter 4, James had some strong words for those he wrote to. And here's what he said in, in chapter 4, verse 3. Well, verse 2, you, you don't have because you don't ask. He's saying you're, you're lacking in your lives because you're not praying. You're not praying. And then in verse Three, he says, and you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. You just want it for yourself. In 1 John, in chapter 5, verse 14, John says, this is the confidence that we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He's speaking to believers and he's saying if we ask according to God's will, God hears us. That's our confidence. We can be sure of it. And then in verse 15 it says, and if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. What a confidence. What freedom. 
See, God is seeking to purify our motives on a daily basis so that we will ask for the right reasons. The writer of Hebrews had a submitted will. He was, he was asking for the right reasons. He was desiring the God to be getting the glory and not him. His motives were pure. He basically wanted what God wanted. He had a clean conscience. He had a submitted will. And he also had a, a very worthy goal. He says in verse 18, I desire, we desire to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. That's a worthy goal. And by the way, the word honorably is the same Greek word translated good in that verse. It's the word kalos, it's the word beautiful, it's the word excellent. He wanted to live beautifully or commendably or excellently in every area of life. That was his goal. He wanted to be above reproach. Now there may have been some false accusations circulating about him. Maybe he was thinking as he wrote this of some of the harder things that he had said in this letter earlier that could be misunderstood. Whatever the case, he was assuring them that his motive and his aim was to behave in a manner consistent with the glory of God. He wanted to behave in a manner consistent with the character of God. He had no wrong motives. So he could leave uh, confidently any misunderstandings in the hands of God. Because his ambition was, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, to be pleasing. He wanted to be pleasing to God. See, a worthy goal is worthy of our support. And he understood the duty of a pastor. He understood the duty of a shepherd of God's flock. And as far as he could tell, he was on target in doing what God had called him to do. He hadn't stepped out of bounds. He hadn't gone the wrong way. He hadn't sinned and and led the flock in the wrong direction. In essence, what he is saying here is, please pray that I may be faithful in continuing to serve God with a clean conscience and living honorably as an example to others, as God intends me to do, and as I have been doing. And then it's as if he's saying, trust God to lead us to do what he wants us to do. For your sakes, for good. This is what I I want you to be praying for all your leaders here at Grace. To continue to pray that we, the staff, the elders, the leadership team, would follow Jesus, that we would serve God with a clear conscience, that we would live honorably in all things, that we would have submitted wills and have that worthy goal of of pleasing God. That's what what I want you to pray for us. And be assured, we are praying for you. We are praying one for another. It's a worthy goal. Now, he also had a specific need. There was something that that he really needed, and it was timely, it was important, And it was specific. And it was this. He was away from the people he loved. 
and he wanted to get back with them. (laughs) He wasn't with his loved ones, and he wanted to be. Look at verse 19. He says, I urge you. There's the plea. There's the passion. He says, I urge you, do this all the more. So that I can be restored to you sooner rather than later. This is a passionate plea. He's a pastor who loves his people. He's separated from them. We don't know why. But he wants to come back to be restored with them. It indicates he's a member of the community he's addressing. He's one of their leaders that's referred to in verse 17. And he desires very personally to be restored to his loved ones. Again, we don't know why he was absent. We don't know for how long he had been absent. But he hopes it will end sooner than later. He pleads with them, please pray, pray. Go to God on our behalf so that God would open the door for us to come back together. He had a specific need and he asked for prayer about it. He wasn't too shy to ask. He he asked boldly. He asked confidently. He asked dependently. Now with regard to praying for spiritual leaders, if we don't pray for these things regularly for our leaders, then we're failing to recognize two things. One, the importance of their role in the church. And two, how frail and sinful they are. Everyone can fall. We have to consider their important role in the church and also the weakness of their sinful nature, which, like everyone else, is flesh in all its weakness. See, we all have need, but we don't all ask for prayer. Have you noticed there are some people who never ask for prayer? But they want to pray for you all the time. That's wonderful. But they don't ask. Why don't we ask? Why don't we ask for prayer all the time? Why is it that every time we get together, we're not saying, pray for me about this or that? Why is it that we're not asking for prayer? And there's lots of reasons why we don't ask. Sometimes it's because we feel unworthy. Ah, I feel like a failure. I I can't ask. My own fault, I'm in the position I'm in, I'm not going to ask. I got to get myself out. I got myself into it, I'll get myself out of it. We feel condemned. We feel bad about our lives. We feel defeated. Well, everybody feels that way at times. It's not a reason to not ask for prayer. That's a double negative there. It's not a reason to stop asking for prayer. If that's you, don't let anybody tell you that you are not worthy to ask for someone to pray for you. Don't, tell, don't let anyone tell you that you are not worthy to go to God in prayer or to ask others to go to him on your behalf. Come to Jesus. Don't kind of someone's expectations or their list of do's and don'ts. See, Jesus died for our sins, not that we would come to someone else's list of do's and don'ts that they think we should do, but that we should be restored into a relationship with God. Through Jesus Christ. That never ends. 
His grace is sufficient. His truth will set you free. See, we're all unworthy. Yeah, we feel unworthy. We feel like we can't come in prayer. Well, we're all unworthy of the grace of God. But God gives it freely. He offers it freely to all. You don't have to change yourself to come to Jesus. You don't have to change yourself to come to prayer. Come to Jesus. Let him do the changing. He will. Another reason is we, we feel selfish sometimes. Oh, it would be selfish if I asked for prayer. It's unselfish if I pray for others. But I'm not going to ask for prayer. That's selfish. Prayer isn't selfish. It's selfless. You're admitting your need for God and other people. When you say, pray for me. I need. I need God. And I need you too to pray for me. What does it say in, John, in James chapter 4? Verse 17. It says, uh, To the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know it's right to ask for prayer and you don't do it? Well, It's right there. Look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Do we believe the word of God? Amen. Now, listen to what else it says. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then we see the example of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again. And the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Paul was not shy about asking for prayer. He said, um, pray on my behalf. That that utterance would be given to me, that God would put words in my mouth in, in making known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Ephesians 6.19. He wasn't shy about asking for prayer. People need praying leaders, but leaders need people who pray for them. Now there's a, a third reason we don't ask for prayer. It's because we like to give, but we don't like to get. I know we all like to receive presents and all that. But we would much rather give than get often. Well, I'm not a giver. I'm, excuse me. I'm a giver, not a taker. Uh, that's contrary to humility, though. I See, I don't want to ask you to pray for me because I don't want to look like I'm needy or out of control. And the fact is, we are all needy and we are all out of control. God is in control. Now we may think it sounds humble, but it's actually prideful. 
I can't stoop to receive your help? I can't ask you? I cannot burden you with what burdens God? You have the privilege to pray for others, but they can't have that same privilege to pray for you? See, we need to humble ourselves and ask for prayer. We also don't ask because we think it's too insignificant to God. Well, I'm not going to bother God with that piddly little issue in my life when he's got all those other big things to deal with. Is anything impossible for God? Is anything impossible for God? No. If the big things are covered, the small things are covered. God wants our hearts to be so at home with him that we go to him as a first resort and ask others to do the same on our behalf. It's not selfish, it's godly. It's dependent. Now sometimes we don't ask because we just don't think about it. Doesn't cross our minds. Doesn't dawn on us that we should be asking for prayer. I'm often too busy to stop and ask. Well, that's as self-centered and, and God, ungodly a reason, if there ever was one, too busy to come boldly to God's throne of grace. That's how, I'm, I'm like that a lot. You know, I'm, I'm carrying my big load of worries and problems and cares, so I'm too busy. Okay, Martha. We need to get unbusy so we can do the real work God's called us to do, the work of faith, the labor of love. Start praying, asking for prayer. Rest in God. Be still and know that he is God. That's what I need to do. Another reason that we don't ask for prayer is because sometimes there's unconfessed sin in our life. There's things blocking. uh, Unconfessed sin will kill prayer faster than anything. You know, we all know what kills the weeds in our yard and we use that. Well, unconfessed sin, you want to kill prayer? Just let some unconfessed sin fester in your life. We do not pray when we're in that mode. We can't pray freely when we're in that mode. Maybe you, maybe you have fractured relationships. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Men. Man, if you're not dealing honorably with your wives, if we are not dealing honorably with our wives, we cannot pray. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. And look what it says. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Meaning if we don't grant our wives honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, our prayers will be hindered. Can't pray. If you're at odds with anyone, you can't pray with freedom. Look at, look at verse 8, 1 Peter 3, 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For, and now we have a quote from Psalm 34, The one who desires to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. 
And listen to this, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God's not listening. Well, he hears everything, but he's not going to act on your behalf. If we do what is wrong, the Bible is telling us God won't listen to us. We read in Matthew 5 that if we know that our brother has something against us, and we're offering something to God, we're to leave the offering and go and be reconciled to our brother. That's what the Bible says. Then offer your gift, then pray, then worship God. Pray and ask God to give you strength and humility to go and make it right to anyone you've wronged. See, God wants us to confess our sins one to another. Life's too short to do otherwise. We're just a vapor. James says it. We're a vapor that appears for a little while and poof, gone. Don't harbor bitter feelings. Let it go. Make it right as far as it depends upon you. I'll give you one more reason why we don't ask for prayer. Because we like to think we're self-sufficient. We think, me, ask for help? Come on, no way. You know that verse, uh, God helps those who help themselves? (laughs) Not in the Bible. It is contrary to the teaching of the Bible. Paul knew he wasn't sufficient. He even said, who is sufficient for these things? Our adequacy is from God. Jesus is our sufficiency. And maybe we don't ask for prayer. I'll give you an extra one here. Maybe we don't ask for prayer because we don't trust people. Maybe you've been burned. Maybe you've been hurt and you don't want to go there again. You don't want to go back to that same place. But let me say, nothing ventured. Not, all I can say is, I understand your pain. We've all been hurt. People hurt people. What these verses are telling us is that we need to be asking people to pray for us, quite simply. Receiving the requests of others and being people of prayer. Trusting in the power and sovereignty of Christ rather than our own abilities. Pray for us. I urge you to pray for us. Do it all the more. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, do it. It's not a weak request. It comes from a strength of conviction that God is who he says he is and he can do and will do what he says he will do. God is God. You want to be a person of prayer? Who, who prays and, and asks for prayer? And learn from the master. See, in everything, Jesus is our supreme example. So if we want to grow in prayer, we've got to be learning from Jesus. Learning how to live and pray like Jesus. Jesus prayed all night. Jesus said, ask. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. Let's see what Jesus said. Jesus said, in that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. 
Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Very interesting qualification to this verse. In my name. According to my will. According to who Jesus is and in line with his character, in line with his purpose, in line with what he does and what he has promised. If you ask anything in my name, in accordance with who he is, and he says, ask and you will receive and your joy will be made full. That's a prayer promise. Ask for the right reasons. Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Help us know how to pray. And Jesus taught them how to pray focused on God's goodness and God's ability. The the Lord's prayer that we prayed together earlier. He prayed for them and he prayed for us in John chapter 17. Read the whole chapter of John 17. You'll see what Jesus prayed. He asked the Father on our behalf. And here in Hebrews 13, 18 and 19, you've got the writer of Hebrews asking for prayer on his behalf. Now, it's not the only aspect of prayer. There's praise, there's worship, there's adoration, there's confession, there's thanksgiving. But there's also interceding for others, praying for people, bringing our requests to God. We've got to learn how to ask. Kids have no problem asking, do they? We've got to become like, what did Jesus say? Unless you become like a child. Points to a huge need. Huge need. Developing a culture of prayer here at Grace. Where we pray as a lifestyle. And we want to do evangelism as a lifestyle. We want to do worship as a lifestyle. You think about it, everything in the Christian life ought to be done as a lifestyle. Anything good that God intends. Pray as a lifestyle. How can we do that? Where we pray as a lifestyle. Let me give you a few things. We need to pray often alone. We need to pray often alone. Anywhere we are. Everywhere we are. Carry on a secret conversation with God. We need to pray often at home. With our household. Whoever we live with. It's amazing how strained relationships can be restored when we pray together. Gather your household and talk to God together. Kids, pray for your mom and dad. We need to pray often with each other. In person. On the phone. See, it elevates our awareness of God and who He is and His presence and His promises. It reminds us that I'm not alone. You're not alone. We're not alone. God's with us. We can go to Him in prayer. Pray at church. Always a good thing to do at church. Pray. Before the service. During the service. After the service. Before I had the the privilege of, of preaching the word each week, I used to pray for preachers. Before their messages, in the middle of them, and after them but primarily as they were delivering their sermons. I would, I would pray a lot for preachers as they were preaching, that they would preach the word, that God would move in the hearts of the people, that God would do whatever he wanted to do. Pray 
after the service. Don't be afraid to come up and pray with someone who'd love to pray with you. Oh, look, they need prayer. Doesn't everyone? (laughs) I believe one of the things many of us are missing in our lives is the discipline of prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told his disciples to pray and he went over and prayed and he, he came back and they were asleep. And he said, what? Can't you wait one hour with me? And he says, pray that you will not enter into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What if you fall asleep in prayer? Maybe you need a nap. Maybe you need more self-discipline. Prayer is hard work. Prayer is not easy. Prayer is hard work. It's work of the heart. One last thing. We're, we're beginning a prayer room here at Grace. It's the room behind the screen. Right back there. It's dedicated solely for prayer. You can't go in there and eat tacos. All right? It's a prayer room. And all we're going to do in there is prayer. Now, it might seem kind of weird to you to go, why would you have a prayer? Well, it's a church, okay? Um, uh, and, but there's other reasons. But why just one room? Can't we pray all the time? All I will tell you, and I guarantee this, having a place dedicated for prayer will foster more prayer in all other areas of our lives. And so we're encouraging you to take an hour a week in the prayer room. Now, you might find it geographically impossible to get here. Then take an hour wherever you are. But in that room, there, and I want, encourage you to, after the service, go back there. Look at it. And, and there's a book in there, and it's got places for us to write down requests. Put your name or don't put your name. Places to put write requests. And then when you go in there, you can initial that you're praying for these requests. And you can go back. That book's going to get filled up with prayer requests that we are going to pray for. And our leadership is leading the way in this. There's a sign-up sheet out at the uh, info kiosk. And uh, a lot of the spots are already taken. There's like 150 spots that you could pray throughout the week for an hour uh, um, slot. Because our, our elders and our pastors and our council, our leadership team are leading the way in this. We're not just going to say, hey, you need to do this. No, we're going to do it. We're going to lead the way in this. It's right. It's appropriate. It's important. See, God says, ask. Ask. When we ask, here's what we've got to be ready for. Watch out with what God will do. Watch out for what God will do. Ephesians 3.20 says he is able to do much more than we could ever ask or think. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray. Lord God, we we thank you for the privilege to come to you right now in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you hear us. And we just pray, Lord, that you would make us people devoted to you and to speaking with you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.